Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well today we're going to be talking with Stanford physician Greg Hammer. We are going to be talking about the burnout crisis among educators, which of course has come to a fever pitch here 
um, as our teachers taught through a pandemic for the past year and some. Um, So we're going to be chatting about that. And then BJ and I are going to be talking um, or answering a question from the group, which is someone who's struggling with the fact that they feel like they need a stimulant to live their life. And we're going to be talking about what to do if you find yourself in that situation where you find that you need some kind of a stimulant, an SSRI, an anti-anxiety medication to live your life, what to do with those feelings of perhaps shame and guilt. Um, But first, I'm going to do a self-care check-in with Rue. Hey, Rue. Hey, Kristen. How's your self-care going? It's going pretty good. I feel like I am, you know, every week just trying more and more to to get back into life-affirming activities, things outside of my house, um, things that are social and, you know, th- things that we are, you know, feeling newly free to do um, since we're vaccinated. So my latest is that some friends and I have been going roller skating. <laughs> Oh my gosh, fun. you really are a TikToker. I am a TikToker. It's so funny because it is. It's so trendy right now. Um, but there is a roller skating rink. And it's so funny. Like this rink is, it's super dated. I only knew of it because, you know, the school would have like, you know, skate nights there as a fundraiser. But now there's this like cool skate group that has like DJed private events there. And so we will go and people come and they are like dressed all 70s and they play this awesome soul music. And it it's just a really fun vibe. It's a very diverse crowd, age-wise, race-wise, weight-wise, just everyone's welcome. You've got girls who are coming who are like involved in roller derby and you've got you know, young TikTok kids. And then you've got like, there's some older people who probably skated in their 20s and now they're in their 60s. Um, and it's just fun. It's just I fun. I love this. I love it. it. I've really been having a blast with it. I have not yet bought my own pair of skates. I rent when we go, but I think I think that's my next step. Oh my gosh. I want, I would like to see a video of this. I, I, I don't think I've been in a roller skating rink since like a youth group event yeah. in the 90s. Um, so I like I don't even know. Is there roller skating around me? I, I couldn't even tell you. I think that you would be surprised. I think most people do have a skate rink near them. And I think that this like underground skating comeback is pretty big. Like I bet you do. I bet you do have one within 30 minutes of your house. That's very cool. Yeah. How about you? So I have been trying to find ways to uh, add more whimsy to (laughs) my week, which I honestly, at this point, I feel, okay, this is going to make me sad, but I'm just going to say it. My youngest turned nine. And I remember when my oldest was going to turn nine and someone said to me, you know, when they turn nine, they're halfway out the door. (laughs) I know. I know. Stabbed to the heart, right? So – I think that especially because with the way the pandemic affected all of us the past year plus, I have been making efforts to, you know, keep my laptop at work and Mm -hmm. spend more time with the kids and be present even though – like I don't necessarily want to do the things that they want to do, but I can still – do other things with them that are fun. So, for example, my eldest discovered that she really likes – chai lattes at Starbucks. So the two mm-hmm. of us will just go and do that together. Or I will um, 
print out a bunch of different emojis and then just tape them to the inside of different cabinets or bathroom doors. And so they just see it and they're like, oh, like kind of like graffiti mom was here, <laughs> you know? But yeah. um, so I'm doing that. I'm doing that a bit. A friend told me this really sweet story when she was growing up. Her mom would always say, happy fun Friday on Fridays and take her to get a candy bar and a soda. And now she's 30 and she still does fun Fridays and they text each other, happy fun Friday. And wherever they are in the world, they get a candy bar and a soda. And I think that is so sweet. And I'm I'm trying. I love the idea of fun Friday. (laughs) Isn't that so sweet? And then they just get a candy bar and a soda. And um, I think it was just, it's just, it's so cute that I want to do, I want to continue to do those kind of things that my kids will remember. Yes. Um, So, you know, I've been focused more on getting art around just because I was hoping to, you know, we were hoping to buy a house. And uh, anyway, a bunch of reasons we're here longer. So I'm like, ah, we can do more art. And hey, maybe um, we can do those TikTok vines in one of the girls' rooms or whatever. Just I think that I am trying to find more fun things to do, like dropping little smiley faces on things or, um, you know, I I, I like it because it's something that I think – the girls like and while they're still young and they like it mm-hmm. i want them to okay another one this is so cute kristen this is so cute maybe you saw it on tiktok this girl said that every night before bed her dad gives her a gummy worm now to like like a, as a little treat like before bed she gets a gummy worm of uh-huh. course i'm thinking like is this before or after she brushes her teeth like is um, this is chaos yes, that's what is this? my immediate thought of course like are you, she's having a gu- she's having a gummy worm and she's like sleeping all night with a gummy worm in her teeth but then so she's probably in her 20s and she went out with her friends or maybe no maybe not maybe she's in her late teens she went out with her friends and her two friends were sleeping over and they got back at two in the morning and he oh laid out three gummy worms for them. Stop! And I'm just like, this is so sweet. This is so sweet. I can't handle it. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh! I love it. So I'm looking to create the fun Friday and gummy worm on the pillow yes. in my life. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Yeah. it's not going to be a gummy worm because that is chaos. But I want it to be similar. I like, do as, like the, as fun. And I like the idea of starting a thing that you can continue through their whole life, you know? Right. Like the fun Friday. I mean, that's cute. Like you could you could forever do that, you know? With yeah, your kids. she's just like so every Friday, no matter where she is, she'll just like pop into a gas station and get herself like yeah. of course it's not the healthiest thing, but she'll just get herself a candy bar yeah. and a soda and it's like fun Friday. And when she was up here um like she was she was staying up here for a little bit she would just come up to me and give me a candy bar it's fun friday like it's just of course of course of course you'd have a candy bar today because it's fun friday which i just thought was so sweet yeah i like that what do you have for two thumbs up uh in that vein i um you know i was looking into this is very much on tiktok very much. But I don't know. Growing up, I wasn't really allowed to put things on walls. And so I'm mm-hmm. very much – I'm very pro put things on walls. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my eldest, who would identify maybe a little bit as like cottage core for those who know TikTok. Yeah. Maybe my, like co- – I've got two cottage core kids happening yeah, as well. Cottage core with a mix of like – You're going to have to explain what cottage core okay, is. Okay. Cottage core is – cottage core is – 
the kind of girl who or the kind of person who enjoys the aesthetic of being out in the wilderness and there are wildflowers and maybe they press flowers in between pages and they also like Pride and Prejudice or Anne of Green Gables, but they're modern feminists as well. <laughs> but it's also the aesthetic, the design aesthetic of Cottagecore, I find a little grandma-ish, you know, it, it's... It is, but it's cool because they're young and fresh and, exactly. and they're teenagers. So for us, it looks like the way that our grandma's house looked, but they didn't grow up with that grandma. And so they just think it's very vintage So it's like old picture frames with, you know, random still lifes in it and um, sofas that are floral... Like, right, I don't right. Totally, or, it makes me feel very old because I'm like, really? You think that's cute? That's just or like, like gingham? Yes. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Oh, it's very much like they want to live in an English cottage covered in ivy. A hundred percent. And also a little bit of Anne of Green Gables, but like 100%. none of the misogyny that came along with that. Right. No, we don't speak of these things. Yes. This this is all the aesthetic of teenage girls right now. Yes, very much. Um, and also, if you really want to do a deep dive, go into like light academia, dark academia, e-girl, like mm-hmm. baddie, all of it is very – I, you know, right now, Kristen and I are speaking another language, but mm-hmm. if you have – if you – live near or love or raise a teenage girl, you know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I got her a print kit, a very cottagecore print kit. And so now I have to explain what a print kit is. It's basically you can buy it or download it, and it's just a bunch of small art pieces. They're basically – it's like the equivalent of tearing out a a pretty picture in a magazine and taping it to your wall like you did with Teen Beat or whatever. But it's all like a certain color scheme or aesthetic, and a lot of college kids do it in their dorms and teens do it in their bedrooms, and it's a fun way to fill a wall with art. So it's super cute if you're looking for a project for – a kid to do this summer. I'm sure they would love to put up a print kit. You can find them on like Amazon or Etsy. I'll link to one that we one that we got uh my cottage core kid. This one's cute. I might actually order this for my kids too because my kids similarly like that aesthetic. And then yes, we have done um, you know, just you you just buy the collection of frames. We have like m- both my girls have just huge photo collage walls in their room yeah does yours so mine has like those little instax like like the mini polaroids yeah like clipped up and then yes. she also has the ivy the like ivy, fake ivy the fairy lights uh we have not done fairy lights yet but yes it's a, and then also uh like a feminist poster but it's by rachel Ign- ignatovsky Ign- oh yeah we've you know, got yeah 100 percent. we have those yeah so <laughs> totally. it, it sounds like it sounds like my girl's room and your girl's room are very I mean, they're, they're definitely not basic bitches. They are completely unique in the ways that they are liking the same thing <laughs> that every other teenage girl likes right now. Well, yes, yes. It's, it's uh, you know. And then, uh, like, right now, her curtains are so pretty. They're, like, peach with, like, this floral. And then she pulled out, like, the there's, like, blue. And mm-hmm. it's very – but she also likes – like, I don't know, like Harry Potter. She also has like yeah. a Harry Potter poster and, and yep. whatever. So I don't yep. – I'm just like, have fun with it. It's your – you know, I think – we, you and I probably did the same weird thing that was cool. Listen. I just can't think when, of it. Oh, I, I'll tell you what I did. First of all, I it was the 80s and I had flamingo wallpaper. 
like neon flamingo <laughs> wallpaper. It was pink and green. And then I had nagel prints. Do you know what those are? I don't know what that is. I'm really aging myself right now. You would know if you saw them. Nagel was like an 80s, an 80s artist that would draw like – Oh, I'm looking it up right now. I don't even know how. I don't even know how to explain it. They were like um, – They all look like the Joker in Batman. They look – they're they're kind of like almost black and white, but there, there would be a splash of color and it would just be like an 80s lady with big earrings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I had nagel prints all over my room, which Amazing. are ironically making a comeback. Of course. Like that aesthetic. You, I mean, you're seeing it, right? Did you look it yes. up? Like it's, yes. it's coming back. Like we were just in Target and they had t-shirts that look like nagel prints right now. I did – I would go through magazines and cut out inspiring words or words yes, that I liked. I would do and that I would too. collage that. Mm-hmm. I also had glow in the dark stars on my ceiling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um and did you have like that so back in the nineties, Delia's was a really popular catalog. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then you would get like the blow up chair. Mm-hmm. But your bare legs would stick to it because mm-hmm. it's just uncomfortable plastic and it would make like, like a thwap noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, no, I get it. I do, I will say I like this is like the cottage core aesthetic much better than whatever the hell I had when I was younger. No, but I it is too. funny that it's just very like, like everyone, like they all live in the secret garden. It's like yes. a secret garden, but no mad little boy yes. <laughs> or whatever. Totally. Well, India is obsessed with. There is a Italian villa in the movie Call Me By Your Name, and she's mm. obsessed with this villa. Like, that's her entire aesthetic. She wants to live there, basically. That's very funny. That's very cute. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing I have, which I actually is also kid-related, but adult-related, too. So it's it's stilts. And okay, this is – you've very gone full whimsy here. Hold on. Yeah, it is It is a little whimsical. There's, so there's two. There's one if you're like under a certain weight and then one if you're like basically ages below 10 and then above 10. And it has like handlebars, so it's really safe. And if you just want – like it's, it's fun enough that – It'll keep your kids occupied for a while, and then you do it too, and then you're walking around the backyard like on stilts, and it's that I don't know. I guess funny. it's good for you because like eye hand coordination. Look, you're roller skating. Well, and I my feel son, like I can still. My son got a um, unicycle for Christmas, so <laughs> I can see my kids liking the stilts. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, it is fun, and I I generally like anything that can occupy them that also keeps them at least a little bit active. Oh, completely. No, I know. That's why I buy all the things. So I have skate ramps and trampolines and, yeah, anything right. that will keep them active and outside. Yeah. I think I might well, have to Well, what's on your – please do. Oh, my gosh. If you would and just take a picture, it would make me very happy. I, I need to. <laughs> what is on your two thumbs up for the week? Okay, one of mine is a snack, but I feel like this is a mom snack. And I don't mean snack like a hot guy. I mean like an actual snack. So (laughs) I have been (laughs) trying to find my snack because what happens is I don't buy myself snacks and then I end up eating the kids, which is like pirate's booty or, you know. Right. Um, And I I wanted to find some – like a little treat for mid-afternoon when I get hungry that's individually wrapped because I don't do well with full bags of chips. And by I don't do well, I mean that I just eat the entire bag. Sure. Okay. So I found these lentil chips from this company called Enjoy Life that I'm obsessed with. They are Thai chili lime flavored. They're really light, really airy. 
um, but really flavorful. They're 110 calories for the whole bag. Um, and I just buy them on Amazon. I have them on subscribe and save. So um, they, my favorite flavor is the Thai chili lime, but they also have dill. They have garlic and Parmesan. And my kids actually really love these too. And they're like, you know, reasonably, reasonably expensive, inexpensive. Um, but these are my like every afternoon crunchy snack treat. I eat them so every I'm day. super familiar. I'm super familiar with Enjoy Life because they're very allergy friendly and they you are. know my kids have dealt with allergies. So all of yeah. it is if you are gluten free, dairy free, vegan, yes. you know, any of those, it's they use those free facilities. Yes. So um yeah, like my kids have always liked like the chewy bars and yeah. I'll I'll shop from here for Halloween or Christmas. Yeah. Um, it's a great brand, a really good ethical and like you said, allergy free brand. So I feel good about buying them in mass quantities, which I am. <laughs> Honestly, looking at the flavors, the Thai chili lime looks like the best one. I know. It's really good. They ha- they also have a margarita pizza, which it doesn't really taste like pizza, but it's a little bit like tomato herb and it's pretty good too. Mm. And the, how's the – have you tried the garlic and Parmesan? Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're really yeah. good. Yeah. They're all really good. <laughs> um, and then my second one is a hair product. So I have been, you know – I have been dabbling in wearing my hair curly. I still mm-hmm. I still just prefer to blow dry my hair. Um, but there are the days when I just either don't have the time or I'm trying to just like day on, day off on, you know, blow drying my hair, like not having to do it every single day. Right. Um, but I have a friend who's been going to this like curl specialist, stylist, and she's basically just giving me the inside scoop of what that stylist says. So there's this product called AG Hair Care Recoil Curl Activator. And you put it on when your hair is super soaking wet. Um, and it just, I don't know how to explain it. It like makes it PC, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Like it forms the curls um, and it keeps them from frizzing. And I feel like this product actually makes me okay with air drying my hair. No, I like that because I will air dry my hair and maybe it'll look good for a couple hours. But by the end of the day or second day, the, whatever wave pattern I have mm-hmm. is very sad looking. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I'll have to try this. I'll have yeah. to try this. And I feel like this one is one where you can get a second day out of it. I will usually put a little water in my hands on the second day and kind of like smooth it out to kind of reactivate the product. Um, but yeah, I really like this one and it's not, you know, it's not too spendy. Um, I think it's a a pretty good product that goes a long way for not that much money. Today's episode is sponsored by Usual Wines. Usual Wines are wines for the modern drinker. They make single serving wines in adorable glass bottles. Each bottle is six point. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So 
With two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral. But what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. 
2.3 ounces, which is a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. It's ideal for when you don't want to open a whole bottle or when you're in a group setting or on a date and you want different varieties of wines. Because of the single serve format and the bottle design, usual is always fresh. No more flat, bubbly or stale wine. They're great for travel, great for girls nights or date nights, and they are perfect for gifts. Usual Wines has several varieties. They have a red blend, a rosé, which is my personal favorite, and a sparkling white wine. They're made from world-class AVAs in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and they're made with minimal intervention, so there's zero sugar and zero additives. They also have a Usual Spritz, which is a low-alcohol, low-calorie wine spritzer made of sparkling wine juice and guava juice. It's a classy option for those of us who like seltzers. Each serving has just 83 calories. And the wines are low carb with zero grams of sugar. You can check out their website at www.usualwines.com and you can use our discount code SELFIE for $8 off your first order and your first glass on us. That's code SELFIE at usualwines.com for $8 off your first order. Greg Hammer. He is an intensive care physician, a professor at Stanford, and he's the author of the book Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And we're actually going to be talking today about the burnout that we are seeing amongst educators right now. Um, Dr. Hammer, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, Kristen. Great to be with you. You know, the idea that the pandemic has created a, a bit of a burnout pandemic for teachers feels intuitive. It makes a ton of sense. Um, but talk to me about what you're seeing. Teachers are certainly affected in a unique way. They have uh, many of them are moms or potentially dads as well would be impacted. Um, so they have their own kids to manage. And then they're teaching experience in the classroom is sort of oscillating between in-person and online and, and the virtual thing online has its own set of difficulties. Um, so yes, I think that uh, women, teachers, especially those who are women, I think, have been uh, under even more stress than usual. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, you know, I'm a working mom. And I mean, everything that you were saying was true for me. My stress was increased. I was having to you know, parent and work and monitor school all at the same time with my kids home doing school. And I remember thinking at one point, the only way this could be worse is if I was a teacher, like if I was, you know, trying to do all this while teaching other people's kids. And I really think that teachers had had things stacked against them. Um, And then I know the teachers in my district, I mean, I watched them you know, thinking that we were going back in person and then switching to, you know, all virtual and then finding out, okay, no, now you're going to have some kids in person and then you're going to teach virtually the same. It feels like we have tasked teachers with an impossible mental load. Absolutely. And then these hybrid situations where the kids may be back at school physically, but only for a half a day. Yeah. And, you know, I think for working parents, that represents uh, its own set of difficulties. Uh, Now they have to uh, take their kids to school, maybe in the middle of the day, if they're in the second half of the day, and then pick them up uh, at the end of the day or pick them up in the middle of the day. So 
very disruptive. And it, it, I think that most schools are now back to full in-person learning. Uh, hopefully that is beginning to alleviate things, although I know that there's still some kids who are learning online, and, and I'm, I imagine that things are still pretty difficult for teachers. Yeah, I know, like in my district, the teachers are still having to do that sort of double. They're talking to the kids in the classroom, but there are some kids that are still at home. And so they're having to mind the kids in the class and then also be pulling in the kids that are on Zoom. You know, it's it's their their attention is split for the entire day. Yeah, very difficult circumstance. And a lot of the kids who are trying to learn online just have difficulty paying attention and uh, I'm sure it's just uh, extremely difficult and stressful for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, we do not want our teachers being burnt out, and there is natural empathy there. But what's the impact of burnout on, you know, when, when teachers are burned out, how does that also not just affect them, but affect the students in the community that they're teaching in? Sure, great question. I think, first of all, our kids really do look up to us and they take a lot of cues from us, probably many of which, uh, of which we're not even aware. And so when we are stressed, they are unsettled mm-hmm. because they, they do rely on us, we adults, we parents to provide uh, sort of radiate a sense of stability for them. And so when we're burnt out, they can sense that and it's unsettling to them. And I think also burnout involves, uh, a loss of patience so that, you know, it's common for people to start to feel tired and maybe a little bit impatient and even snappy at the end of a very long day. Uh, and when we're burnt out, that seems to happen earlier and earlier in the day. So I'm sure that a lot of uh, parents and teachers who are chronically stressed and, and having signs of burned out, burnout are perhaps a bit short with their kids with your students, um, you know, they seem haggard and it's uh, un- very unsettling to our kids, both from the standpoint of uh, parents who are burned out and teachers as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And what can we do, you know, as community members, as parents, what can we do to help alleviate the burnout that teachers are experiencing right now? Well, I think, uh, I don't know how much there is that we, who, who are parents of kids who are students, can do other than just be very patient and understanding with our teachers. But in my book, I talk about a, uh, a rubric of drivers of burnout, and those drivers point to the solutions. And they're kind of, uh, if you can imagine, a pie cut in thirds. The drivers are sort of in, in those three categories. Mm-hmm. The first one really it has to do with the culture. So in, in the case of my work and my book, it's the culture of medicine. And there are a lot of things about the culture of medicine that have not been contributory to wellness. For example, the fact that we always take care of our patients first, even at our own expense. So we work through lunch and, uh, you know, don't have adequate bathroom breaks and, uh, you know, work very long days that erode into our family time. And also that it's been kind of a taboo thing to get help, you know, to get mental health help. Yeah. So that's sort of the culture of medicine. And I think the same things apply to teachers. It's the culture of teaching and the culture of the system, the education system, are in some ways unfavorable to the teacher. They're expected to 
always put their students first and mm-hmm. even at, the, at their own expense. And so I think we as, as those in the community can be more understanding of that. And if our teachers seem to uh, have fallen short in some way, we could at least be uh, empathetic and a bit patient with them. The other thing is that uh, the second third of the pie, if you will, is really uh, has to do with, in the case of my book, the efficiency of practice. And so if things are inefficient in our clinics and our operating rooms where I work, um, as well as the intensive care unit, you know, then we end up staying an hour, hour and a half, two hours later each day than we feel is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe in the operating room, the turnover times between cases are too long because we don't have enough uh, technical staff to clean the rooms. And, and there are a whole lot of other systems that have to come to bear to make things work efficiently. And I think the same thing in the schools. And so when things are operating inefficiently in our systems, uh, it's taxing on us and in the case of schools, taxing on the teachers in particular. And so there's a certain amount of inefficiency in the way teaching has been forced to occur in the last year and a half. And the third uh, portion of the pie is personal resilience. So this is really the part that we can influence most greatly. That is, we have to take ownership of our own resilience. And that's really what my uh, my book is about, how we can become more resilient people. And so I think teachers and people in healthcare alike, as well as all walks of life, we can all become more resilient if we address the issues that are causing us to be burned Absolutely. out. And so for teachers or you know, even just people who are listening, who are experiencing burnout, what are some of the ways that we can address that? I know you talk about mindfulness as, in, as, you know, playing a big part in mitigating some of that stress. Yes. Well, I, you know, mindfulness is a word that is used so commonly now. I think people almost tend to have their brains turn off when they hear that <laughs> word. Um, I, I think there's a couple of really important principles uh, that we can look at and embrace to become more resilient. And one of them is that we tend to have a negativity bias. We tend to remember negative experiences and thoughts and forget about the positive ones. And if we recognize that, we can begin to correct that. We can change the way we think. We can rewire our brains. Our brains do remain malleable. We have this quality called neuroplasticity, which means that we can change the way we think if we're intentional about it. Uh, so the negativity bias is something that I think we need to acknowledge. And the other thing we need to acknowledge is that we tend to be obsessed with the past and the future. Mm-hmm. And I would say there are adaptive ways of considering the past and future. It's adaptive to savor our positive memories and it's adaptive to learn from our mistakes. But beyond that, we dwell on things in the past and this leads to regret and shame and self-judgment. And the same applies for the future. It's adaptive to plan for uh, putting bread on the table, for example, and plan for happy times with friends and loved ones. But beyond that, we tend to obsess about the uncertainty of the future, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. And this leads to a lot of fear and anxiety. So when we recognize that we're superimposing this sort of negativity veil on our experience, and we're also obsessing non-productively or maladaptively on the past and the future, and that really we can begin to bring our thought processes back to the present moment. And that really is where happiness lives. Yeah. So that's sort of a quick and dirty, if you will, 
portrayal of how I think we can learn to direct our thought processes to begin to let go of judgment, begin to be more grateful, begin to be more accepting of pain and suffering, which is uh, intrinsically part of life. And uh, and so that's really where my effort lies in, in helping people connect with those concepts. You know, one of the things I appreciated about your book and that I I found surprising is that you are a medical physician, and yet your book really takes an approach that is looking at a lot of our you know, our mindfulness, our presence of mind, it really kind of, I mean, I'm a therapist, I felt like you were really drawing from, you know, a lot of psychological stuff, just as much as the physical, how do these two things interplay with each other? Uh, that's a great question. Loaded question. <laughs> no, no, it's a great question, because there seems to be uh, this duality between, let's just say, uh, you know, our spiritual experience, which I might just call consciousness and the sort of reductionist materialist way we think in the real world. And, um, and that certainly includes, uh, medicine, for example, you know, we try to, uh, reduce it to its component parts so that we can manage it. Um, and you know, there's a lot of memorization of, anatomy and, and neurophysiology and kidney physiology and all these things, kind of reducing things to their component parts. So there appears to be this duality in, in our thought processes and experience between, you know, which leg of our pants are we going to put on first and then, you know, experiencing consciousness. But actually, I think uh, if it's not too heavy, I would say that I think all of the present moment experiences we have in the world are just manifestations of that greater thing, which we could call consciousness or God or what have you. So, um, you know, that may be a little bit uh, heavy for <laughs> some of your audience. I don't know. But <laughs> no, we like it. I don't know how to answer that question otherwise. So, I, yeah. you know, I think that I got interested in medicine. I was uh, actually first interested in astronomy because I thought it was just mind-blowing how we, we go from the very micro of, of quantum mechanics to the macro of, of galaxies, and it's all one system. And I found the human body to be the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, we have these sort of subcellular uh, components, and then these all work together to form cells and cells, tissues and tissues, organs and organs, the body, and it all is interrelated and, and works in this amazing way together yeah and um you know i think um i think that's what the truth is so that's sort of i guess the uniting force of all things yeah absolutely it is i i found that so to be so true for myself and with the clients i work with as well it's just it's all so interconnected in your book you talk about acceptance you have a whole chapter on it and talk about why acceptance is important for our own self-care Yes. Well, the acronym in the title of the book is GAIN, and those are four capital letters that stand for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. We've kind of talked a little bit about how we can use our intention or purposefulness to rewire our brains. Um, gratitude is intrinsic to happiness, and there's a chapter on that as well. Um, acceptance is vital to happiness because we have pain and suffering in our lives and, and we have our personal pain and suffering, 
And then we have kind of a global pain and suffering in the present moment and also throughout history. And I think we sort of feel the reverberation of millennia of suffering and, and the way that we as humans have treated our fellow humans, mm-hmm. enslaving them and ripping them from their, their homes and their cultures and, and um, you know, separating from their family members and, and wars and and so on, and I think we still feel the reverberation of these tragic uh, consequences of our behavior as humans. And then at the present time, even though, for example, we seem to be seeing a light at the end of the tunnel with regard to the pandemic, so many people elsewhere in the world, like India and South America, are suffering so incredibly. And I think we feel this too. And then, of course, we have our own pain and suffering. We've talked about stress and the adverse effects of chronic stress that erodes our ability to be present and happy. And I think we need to acknowledge these things. We can't just do what some have called the spiritual bypass and pretend that everything is just a bowl of cherries and move uh-huh. on. So in my gain meditation that is described in the book and is my daily practice and, and one that I teach my trainees, um, you know, we sit with our eyes closed in a comfortable place and can do this practice in as little as three minutes. We close our eyes, we get in touch with our breath, we deepen our breath and slow it down. We go through a few cycles of a nice, slow, deep breathing, and then we contemplate that for which we're grateful. And then we move on to acceptance. And And this involves really, as we sit and breathe, actually envisioning or visualizing opening our chest and opening our heart and bringing that which is painful and causes suffering closer and closer and closer until we merge with it, until there is no separation. Mm-hmm. And we can do this. And, you know, I lost my dear son at the age of 29, four years ago. And that's always the first thing in my acceptance is that, you know, there was nothing I could do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. And we need to consider what we can change and what we cannot change and accept those things we cannot change and bring them closer and closer. So I start with this sort of uh, profound pain of my son's death, and I just bring that closer and closer until I merge with it. And I, in so doing, I have the experience that this is just intrinsically part of life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, part of the end, which is not judgment, is not judging things as good or bad, which we tend to do yeah. with almost everything in our environment. And it just simply is. It is the way it is. And by merging with this apparent pain and suffering, and we can accept it. That's really good. That's It's powerful. Um, what do you think the barriers are for people, for people who struggle with um, acceptance and non-judgment? What are some of the barriers to those things? I think that uh, our minds are very analytical. And so with regard to judgment, for example, we're constantly looking at our environment and we want to pigeonhole everything because Mm -hmm. we do have this tendency to reduce everything to its component parts and put things in neat little boxes. And so Mm -hmm. we look at our environment and we compare one thing to another. We compare others to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's just our nature. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why we're wired that way, but we are. And it's exhausting to constantly say, <laughs> this is good, that is bad, this is too tall, that's too short, etc. But 
again, it's the recognition of the way our mind works. As I said, it's recognizing that we have this negativity bias. It's recognizing that we have this maladaptive obsession with the past and the future. And it's recognizing, in this case, of the end and gain or non-judgment, that we have this tendency to compare and contrast everything and judge everything as good or bad. And so the good news is our brains have this neuroplasticity. We can change that. And so when we get to the end or non-judgment part of the game meditation, again, we're breathing with our eyes closed. We've uh, contemplated our gratitude, acceptance, and intention. We get to non-judgment. It's about seeing the world exactly as it is. So I actually kind of envision that I'm in space looking at the earth uh, as this beautiful round orb and looking at it and accepting it exactly as it is. Uh, it makes all of our comparisons and judgments seem rather small and even completely unimportant. And, and there's the world that just is the way it is. Hmm. It's not good. It's not bad. There's pain and suffering. Hmm. There's joy and elation and love. And that's the way it is. And let's just embrace that without judgment. And the, and the key to that is, Kristen, that when we become gradually more skilled at non-judging our environment, we can turn toward ourselves and become less judgmental and hopefully yes. eventually non-judgmental of ourselves, which is probably the most difficult element. It's difficult, but it's so rewarding. Yes. And, it's, and, and we can do it if yeah. we set our intention. Yes. Yes. And as you said, I mean, it, it takes some work and we're, you know, many of us are wired to be very hard on ourselves, um, you know, through conditioning and parenting. And, you know, many of us, our first instinct is, as you said, compare, you know, judge ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, this does take some intentionality, but it, it's so helpful. Well, I think, you know, we're all wired that way. And mm -hmm. I think the recognition that we're all wired that way is, is a relief. It's not just ourselves. And you know, in a way, that's one of our first judgments is, I'm so negative. I'm so this, I'm so that. No, we all think that way. And so we're not alone. But the good news is, if we have a programmatic approach to these things, such as, in my case, the game approach, and we take baby steps without judging ourselves, there is no failure. But all we have to do is one tiny little thing at a time and do it daily. So even a three-minute game meditation every morning and then pick an element of game and say, okay, today I'm going to work on non-judgment and just a baby step. What I'm going to do is when I get in my car and I'm driving to work, I'm going to tend to judge that person driving who maybe changes lanes in, ahead of me without using the turn signal. And normally I would say, oh, that person's a bad driver and I would start to get upset. And then I'm going to catch myself realizing I'm making that judgment and just let it go. Maybe, you know, I drive that way sometimes and it doesn't matter. It's just, it's neither good nor bad. I'm just going to look at that without judgment. And that one little act of non-judgment every day, you know, we can do that practice, just baby steps. And after three or six months, we'll look back and say, wow. I am so much less judgmental than I used to be. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. So let's go easy on ourselves, focus on baby steps, daily practice, no expectations, there is no failure, 
And it's remarkable how much progress we can make. Absolutely. Well, your book really breaks all of this down, everything that we're talking about. You have some incredible guest authors in your book as well. Where can people find your book? They can uh, go to my website, which is greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com, or they can go to Amazon and search uh, in the book section for Gain Without Pain, and my last name is Hammer, so if they throw that in there, they'll definitely find it there. Great. Well, we will also link up to your book in our show notes and on our um, website. Thank you so much for chatting with us. This was really helpful. It's been a great pleasure, Kristen, anytime. All right. Well, it is time to chat with BJ Hickman, our resident therapist. Hey, BJ. Hi. So we got a question from someone who is on ADD meds, but I think her question is a really good one for everyone who finds themselves in the um, position of taking psychotropic medications, medications for, you know, for something around the brain. So she said, I am struggling with the fact that I feel as though I need a stimulant to live my life. Any suggestions on dealing with this feeling? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk about this because a lot of people find themselves in this position, whether it be yeah. a stimulant. Um, and just a little side note, I know it sounds odd, but a stimulant paradoxically works with people with ADD. So, you know, you may think like, why would you give a stimulant to someone who has hyperactivity or, you know, attention mm-hmm. deficit, but it it actually calms the person down. So ADD works by fixing the brain chemistry um, that can sometimes go awry for people with ADD. Now, similarly, if you have depression, your serotonin levels may be off. And so you might use a medication that addresses the serotonin chemical in your brain. If you have bipolar, you might um, need to take a medication that evens out some of those synapses. So when we're taking a medication, what we're doing is in just about all cases, we're addressing a brain chemistry issue. And I know it can be really frustrating for people to feel like I have to stay on a medication. But I think the way that I like to frame this for people is, Would you feel frustrated if you found out that you were diabetic and you needed to take insulin to even out your body chemistry? Mm -hmm. Would you feel frustrated if you found out that you had a thyroid condition and that you needed thyroid medication to even out that chemistry? I feel like we have compassion for ourselves and acceptance for ourselves when it comes to our physical health, and we can accept a need for a medication but we don't give that same compassion to ourselves when it comes to our brain. I, gosh, you just nailed it. That is the biggest issue I think we have, we find people struggle with around medication. And I think the part that you have to keep in mind is how often this is coming from some out, someone outside of them, someone who's questioning whether they need to be taking these medications. And that makes it really hard for the person who's already got mental health issues Mm -hmm. to kind of regulate through the perception of them because that's one of their issues to begin with. Yes. And being able to 
this is why I think it's important to find the right prescriber. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest, I, I think we really struggle with understanding that our general practitioners are not skilled and trained at addressing most of the things we need psychiatric medications for. Mm-hmm. Also, there are a lot of psychiat- psychiatrists who approach psychiatry from um, the latest sample that they get. There are the latest medication that they get that they get free samples from a yes. a rep from. Yes. If you'll notice, there are trends. Uh huh. And everyone you know is on Zoloft. And there was a time when everybody was on Effexor, and everybody uh-huh. was on Prozac, and everybody was on Paxil, until 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 all these things that came about later, and then they decided, okay, well, that's not the drug for everyone after all. And I think this is goes back to we talked about this in in recent years, and I think you've done the gene site testing, right, Kristen? I have. Uh huh. And I think it's such a valuable piece because if we can find a, a psychiatrist who, first of all, administers that test and values that test, then you're going to find someone who's more likely to prescribe a medication that your body can metabolize in a way mm-hmm. that has the least side effects and is the most effective for whatever your diagnoses are. So GeneSight, for those of you who have never heard of it, is a DNA test. They've now partnered with, I think, Ancestry and some of the DNA uh, testing that we often do, wanting to better understand our our medical histories and our family histories. I think GeneSight is now partnering with some of those, and you can actually get the test as part of those test cycles. But it basically tells you how your body metabolizes medications, and it's not just psychiatric medications. It's mm-hmm. pain medications and other ones. My first experience with it was in the addiction treatment field. When this DNA test first became available, we used it within the walls of treatment programs to help fine-tune the medication prescriptions for people who were seeking help. And as it became a little bit more readily available, I um, was able to assist a person in getting a test who had struggled her whole life with mental health issues. And she also had had severe physical issues. She had an accident one time where the ulna in her arm was shattered oh. and they replaced it with a titanium one. And she was allergic to titanium oh and my the goodness. impact it had on her body before they got that, that false bone out of her was almost deadly. And so she was horrified and she'd had, a, and in the process of that, she'd had a, a major allergic reaction to morphine. And so she was horrified of any medication, but her world was falling apart Yeah, and we got her tested. And I wish you could have seen her face when she sat down with the results of that test, because every drug she'd ever taken that she'd had an adverse effect to was all the way over to the end of the spectrum of the side of meds she should never take. And so she chose the one psychotropic that was on the opposite end and the, or the doctor that she saw did, and he prescribed Prozac to her. This was about 11 years ago. It has completely changed her life. Mm. Her mother, she had no relationship with her mother. Her mother ended up getting the test done, going on a medication that worked for her. They were able to restore their, their relationship with each other. Everything about her life changed once she got on the right meds. And so it really can be a very powerful tool. And I think it's just important, again, going back to psychology today, 
being able to find a psychiatrist that specializes in the diagnoses that you have, because often we're self-diagnosing or we have a general practitioner's diagnosing us, and then we're going to someone to get meds and, or the general practitioner is prescribing meds. And we're often struggling because we're just not medicated properly. If we were, we might look really normal. <laughs> yeah. Going about the world. Yeah. But our, often the, the medications ends up, end up exacerbating the mental health issue, which then creates this cycle of on and off of meds, on and in, in and out of doctor's offices. And the family is now in judgment that nothing's working and you've just got a problem. And, you know, you're getting stigmatized within your own system, your support system. And in reality, it's just a matter of getting to the right doctor, the right meds, the right diagnosis, even at times. And I think it's really important that people understand that you're not always going to get that from your general practitioner. Yeah. Or you're not even necessarily going to get it from a random psychiatrist that your friend recommended. Mm-hmm. You really need to make sure you're finding the right clinicians to see. Yeah, I completely agree. And then, you know, also knowing that there is inherent trial and error with medications. What works for your friend might not work for you. Don't give up because you've had to try three different medications for ADD or three different types of medications for depression. It takes some time. And then once you do find something that works, never, never feel bad that you're, that you are taking something that works. And and when you start finding yourself questioning whether there's something wrong with you because you're on meds, if someone either makes you feel that way or mm-hmm. you question it yourself, talk to someone that knows you and trust that you trust. Yeah. Someone that really sees you because we need people in our life that support us in our mental health issues mm-hmm. who can support us pushing back on those stigmas and those stories and those narratives that we carry about it and that can say to them, to us, you know, I feel like you're really doing great on this med. If it feels like you're not, then see your doctor because sometimes just a tweak in the dosage is all we need. Yeah. But we tend to get something, take it. If it doesn't work, we stop or we titrate off ourselves or we go off cold turkey and then we really have issues. And there's just so many ways that we play with these things. And your mental health is, you deserve to have the best possible support. Yeah. Around your mental health. And if that's medication, take your medication. If you have people in your life that want to make you feel bad for that, set really strong boundaries about listening to them and what they have to say. Let them know it's not okay for them to critique it, that this is between you and your doctor. And keep it between you and your doctor and people who do understand you and can support you in it. Yeah. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at selfiepodcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.